Hello, it's me, your host here, Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio. On Girlboss Radio, we talk a lot about the many twists and turns our career paths take, and today's episode is no exception. I'm chatting with Olivia Christian, a brand strategist who went from working in politics to helping small business owners and side hustlers tell their brand story. We are big fans of Olivia here at Girlboss, which is why she is also joining us as a speaker at the upcoming Girlboss Rally. At the Girlboss Rally, you'll hear from tons of experts on marketing, finance, and so much more. And Olivia will host a very special workshop presented in partnership with Vistaprint. It's all about helping you craft your very own brand story so you can better market yourself and your small business. By the way, I wanna thank Vistaprint for helping us bring you today's episode. And I'm so happy they are committed to helping us bring you practical and valuable lessons like today's show. But let's get back to the show and why I'm so excited for you to listen to my conversation with Olivia up ahead. Olivia is someone who grew up thinking a life in politics was the path for her. And then after some time spent working in politics, she realized she could also help people in a different way by helping them figure out how to craft their own brand identity that tells a captivating story. Because when you know how to tell people who you are, what you do, and why you do it, well, you're able to open doors for yourself and your business, and so much more. I'm excited for you to hear from Olivia. Here's our conversation. Olivia, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Thanks Sophia. Thanks for joining me. It's long overdue that we sit down and have a conversation. I, I'm excited to talk to you. We've done face a lot to together. Face. You've spoken at the rally. Yes, a couple of them. Yeah, and we're Instagram friends. I almost said Facebook. <laughs> and they're not called friends. We follow each other. It's so much more passive, but we're friends. <laughs> yes. Um, and you've done so many things in your career. You've worked in politics. You've worked with a lot of brands. You have your own workshop which I want to get into, called Own Your Story. Yes. But I want to start at the beginning, because we all have a start. We're all kind of always starting, but whatever. Let's not get into that. What was your first job? Well, I think technically my first job was selling Girl Scout cookies at like six years old. I uh, I didn't get paid for that in cash. I think I got, I think you get what it was like, patches, um, patches or something. Yeah. Uh, but my first job job was in high school, and I worked for a sandwich company called Togo's. Oh, I know Togo's. Mine yeah. was at, my first job was at Subway, so. <laughs> Togo's is very Northern California. Togo's is like the fancy Subway. It's like, it's kind of like a fancy Subway. Yeah. Like, it's like a Sharky's. It's not like a Taco Bell. It's like Sharky's. I hear that. So, I want to get to your work today as a brand strategist. But before we get there, I want to learn how you're drawn to politics. You've been featured on Girlboss.com. And during your interview with one of our editors, you said you grew up thinking you would run for office. Yes. How did you first fall in love with politics? Well, my parents were born and raised in the segregated South. They were born and raised in Florida, a small town called Mariana, which is on the border of Alabama. Sometimes you think of Florida, you're like, Miami, it's amazing. Like, nah, they were were in the thick of it. Um, But my parents were hippies. My dad was in a band. He looked like Jimi Hendrix. And my mom was his gypsy eyes. 
And when they finished school, they moved out to California, the Bay Area. They quickly dropped that whole hippie thing and had um, a bunch of kids and stuff. But they raised my siblings and I to be super politically active and engaged. They raised us with the values that they were brought up with. When they were graduate or just beginning high school, I should say, that's when segregation ended. So they were integrated into these mixed schools. All the black schools were closed down and all the black kids had to go to what we would call white schools. I don't know if it was very diverse in their town. I think it was just black and white. Um, and so there were a lot of challenges they faced. The entire class, their class was held back. They all got Fs in every class. So everyone had to go to school over the summer to stay on track. So um, I say all that to say that when they raised us, it was about taking advantage of opportunities that they didn't have when they were young. And uh, every Black History Month, we would watch Eyes on the Prize, which is a documentary series that runs on PBS. And it's videos of the civil rights movement. It's showing young people being politically active and elders, of course, sitting in at, um, you know, Woolworths or being hosed down or being dragged in the streets. And my parents were like, you come from something. You come from a strong background. And what's your what's your next game? What do you how are you going to participate and as a young person, I was ready for an opportunity. I was like so glad to be raised in the Bay Area as opposed to northern Florida. No no uh, shade there. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, at the age of 10, there was the first time there was an election at my elementary school. And so I ran for office. And I had my dad made me buttons. They said, run, Olivia, run, which is a play on Jesse Jackson's campaign in the 80s. And I handed out Tootsie Roll Pops to my classmates, asking them, how I can make the school better? What do you need? How can I serve? And I won my election in a landslide. And I continued to run for office, but junior high, high school. And in college, I started working um, for elected representatives in the city of San Jose. And so it started with them telling us that we owed something to the next generation, what was going to be our mark that we were going to leave. And I would say out of the rest of my siblings, I have two older sisters and an older brother. I probably was bitten the most by the bug, um, but that's where it came from. What kind of a career did you envision beyond that in politics? I honestly thought I was going to run for the mayor of San Francisco. Why I, <laughs> no, why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, and I, I started to believe that in high school. And when I was in high school, Willie Brown was the mayor at the time. And I thought if he is reelected, by the time I finish college, I could work for him. And so I started planning for that. And that's what happened. Um, and I hit a wall, though. After years of working through college, being out in the community, I realized that I didn't want to work as an assistant to an elected official. It was really about their brand and us um, kind of forming ourselves to their policy ideas, what they thought was appropriate. Um, and it wasn't to say that I didn't believe in what they had, their messaging or what have you, but I wanted to kind of own my own and work with individuals and organizations that I felt passionate about, and only those ones. So that's how I launched kind of going into my own path and my career. And yeah, it was really just kind of about, about listening to where I knew I wanted to go, listening to myself. That's important. So by the time you were 25, you had worked for four different elected public officials yes. in two different cities? Yes. What did you learn from working at those administrations, especially when it comes to what it takes to build a brand that resonates with the public? Because that's what you spend all your time talking about today. I think the number one thing I learned from everyone that I worked with is the necessity of feeling connected to who you're serving and also being as authentic about that as possible. When you fake it, people can see that. If you're not passionate about what you do, it's really difficult to convey what it is you're trying to achieve and have people believe you. 
Um, so that's part of the reason why I got out of policy was I no longer felt passionate about it. I didn't want to fake it. And I knew people would be able to tell that I was faking it. So why not go into a direction where I felt more fulfilled? Are there any lessons you learned from those officials about crafting a narrative or putting a positive spin on a story? (laughs) I think it's, you know, they, I remain in contact with some of the folks that I worked with um, earlier on in my career, and they remain big cheerleaders of mine. Um, I think I threw them off a little bit with my detour. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But um, I don't really think of things as being a positive spin. I think there is positivity in challenges and um, and focusing on how to build something beyond, uh, you know, a, a challenge or, um, you know, an opportunity that's kind of lost its way in some way. I'm really having a hard time communicating this. But my point is you can find um, an opportunity to build on loss um, as opposed to dwelling on things that you can't change. And that's what I've learned from politicians. You can't just focus on the things that are out of your control. It's no reason to do that to begin with. But you definitely can't fall prey to um, the highs and lows based on the daily wins and losses. It's really just about focusing on the long run, the long goal, the long term. When you said build on loss, I just had this visual of like, okay, can you build on what do you build on other than loss? Like if there was a pyramid or whatever <laughs> and you were to build it, would you are you building it on something that already exi- that worked? I feel like you would need to build it on like loss paves the way for us to build in a way, right? It's like all of that we mash up and turn into a foundation. Because there's nothing else to do with it. <laughs> loss is information. Yeah. It informs your next move. It pu- puts you in a position to learn, to grow, to add or subtract where you need to. Um, but it takes like putting yourself out there to potentially fail, to learn where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, who's with you, who's got your support, um, and who you need to gain on your team or um, as your customer or clients, whatever realm you work in. But it, it takes building from loss and gain in order to create a a stable foundation that you can grow from. And it's important to keep going, which means continuing to be out there, which is often scary, especially when we fall on our faces, which is what we all do. So we're all trying to get our story out there, right? It's the age of social media, whether you're a politician or you're a teenager who wants three more followers on Instagram. We all have a story to tell. For politicians, for those of us in public speaking, it can be really hard to stick to our talking points. Are there lessons that we can apply about storytelling from what works in politics to what works for someone like a small business owner, for example? I think, again, it all comes down to authenticity. I don't think it's different for a politician versus a a beauty blogger versus a lawyer or a scientist. If you want to galvanize people to do a certain thing, if it's shop in your store, if it's to vote for you, they get to, they need to get to know you on a human level. And that requires talking about yourself in a way that's not just your LinkedIn profile. I went to the school. I studied here. I worked here. We all likely have that kind of LinkedIn profile. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> and you forget it quickly. But if we get you on that human and emotional level and you're authentically presenting that information, that's something that can resonate with people. So you turned your side hustle into a full-time gig. Did you just straight up like leave and go do this or were you kind of working on it a little bit? Was it a side hustle? The former. I just stopped. Um, I put in my notice. And the thing is, 
what I was literally doing for people in the community wasn't that different when I was working for an elected versus when I started working as a consultant. I was just now free to do it with the organizations and individuals that I was really um, interested and cared about that I thought were being really effective in addressing vulnerable communities. And elected representatives that I worked for were doing that as well. But I, I've said this before, when you want people to vote for you, you have to kiss all the babies, even the ugly babies. And I was like, I'm not into any babies, really, let alone ugly babies. So the, I had to take charge in a way and focus in on those organizations, again, that I cared about. Okay, so you leave politics and you're figuring out what your next move is. How did you figure out what were your f- first steps that you took to figure out how to turn your dream into a full-time gig? It was really about leveraging the relationships that I had been building for years, working on policy. So I didn't abandon those um, individuals who had helped me along the way, that helped inform my experience and my professional experience. Uh, It was really just letting them know, I want to continue to do the work, but in this capacity. Can you introduce me to the folks who could hire me? And so it was really like piecing together clients. I didn't have like a full client that I, I had one person I was working with that I could pay rent. I had to get a $500 contract here and a $1,500 contract there. And because I had um, some great relationships that I relied on frequently, and I put them in a position to build off of what I was doing, it was a give-get kind of a situation. That's how I built my clientele. How did you position yourself? Did you get a business card? Like, What did you do to put yourself, whether you're pitching yourself? The first steps were build a website and get business cards. And the business cards that I first got, I knew I wanted it to look a little different than what I'd been getting all those years when I was working for electeds. People are constantly like, oh, can you get me a meeting with whom? So I was collecting a bunch of business cards. And I knew I wanted mine to stand out in someone's hand or in their wallet. So my business cards were vertical. And one side was royal blue. And it was a little bit of a sheen and a thicker card. So when you're like kind of flipping through, you could feel it stand out in your hand. Um, So I was very specific about needing to stand out in someone's hand and their stack of business cards. And then I created a website and created categories of um, areas where people could hire me. And my expertise were working in particular fields in San Francisco and different neighborhoods. So I was really focused on particular neighborhoods that I had relationships with. And it was continuing to go to events as if I worked for an elected, but I no longer did. And so I was informing people, I'm on my own now, um, handing out business cards and having those conversations that sometimes seem weird and awkward, but are necessary if you want people to know that you're available for hire. How did you, did you design them yourself? My dad's actually a graphic designer, so he helped me. Um, But my design was really kind of sleek and modern and not complicated. And it was incorporating my name. It wasn't some new business name that it was like Sunshine on the Taco. Or What's her name again? It's, oh, it's Sunshine. I don't remember her name, but yeah, she does Sunshine on the Taco. <laughs> <laughs> my logo was my name. The name of my website was my name. So people didn't have to try to remember the name of my business. It was just, I know Olivia. SEO yourself in the real world. Yep. yep. I My first business cards I ordered from Vistaprint. And it was way before, it was when I wanted to be a photographer. And I actually did a little freelance photography. My website was, get this, theantiquityofhumanwalking.com. <laughs> that was my website. And that's, it was like Sophia at theantiquityofhumanwalking.com. It was like the longest, the URL longest hardest thing ever. to find. I thought I was really weird and cool. 
and it was a, it was beautiful. It was photo quality, and um, I was so proud of it. There's nothing. I, Camille, my assistant, we she got her first business cards, and she's like she's experienced, right? But she had never had a business card before. And when she got her, she was like waving them around, handing them to baristas. She was like, it's it's exciting. It's an exciting thing. And the thing about business cards is that when you get something physical that manifests something you haven't even done before, you're like, oh, my God, it's official. It's like saying yes to yourself. It I'm is. doing it. It is. It and is. letting the universe know that you're you're on the path. And then when you hand one to someone, you're actually on the hook to do it. <laughs> like if I email you, are you really yeah. going to do these things? Yeah. I want to talk about confidence. According to research from Vistaprint, there's a big difference in confidence levels between women and men. Not surprising. And especially when we're starting businesses. For example, 28% of women versus 10% of men feel they lack the confidence to start a business. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that confidence level translates to lots of different fields. Like We talk about, you know, we're in the, an election year. And women typically find themselves feeling like they're not prepared, they aren't successful, they shouldn't run for office. And there are other men that are like, all I've done is golf my whole life. Mm, I think I can be president. <laughs> so I, I think we sometimes talk ourselves out of opportunities. Um, and I don't know if we're going to be able to overcome that as, you know, to the degree that we'd like. It's slowly getting better. I'm, I'm glad it's only 28 percent. I'm sure a generation ago it would have been much higher. For me, I didn't think that I had to have a certain level of success to become an entrepreneur. I didn't feel like I had to have no fear in order to get started. I think the fear is what drives you. If you're a little scared, you don't know if you're going to make rent. You're going to hustle. And that's what I had to do. I was working for nonprofits. It's not like I was making a lot of money. I was a paycheck away from being on the other side of that donation table. So it was important for me to get out there and hustle and to do well at my job so that I could have advocates, ambassadors, testimonials on my website from people who said, yeah, she did a good job. What advice would you give our listeners to how they can move past their fears and launch their business? I would say the first thing to do is to take the step. I think that quote has been going around for a number of years now, jump and the net will appear. Um, I do think you need to do your research. I think you should know who your clients and customers or whoever is going to be. Relying on friends and family to buy every T-shirt design or to come to every show. or Mom. You know, like they can only handle so much. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> it can't just be those people immediately related to you that have the same last name as yours. But who are the potential clients that you have? So it's just really just doing that market research. Um, and then thinking through how you're different than those solutions that are currently out there. What is your niche? What is your story that you create about your product or your experience that you're creating for other people that differentiates you from those folks that are already in the game? And when you do that, I think you build confidence. When you know who you are, when you know what you're trying to achieve for your customers or clients or your audience, then I think that can help ground you. But I don't think it'll take away all of your fear until, again, you get out there first. You will always have some fear. Yes. And if you don't, you're weird. You're weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do business with you. <laughs> I think this is a good moment to take a quick little break from our conversation with Olivia, which we'll get back to in just a second. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode is brought to you thanks to Vistaprint. And like us... 
Vistaprint is committed to helping you scale your side hustle or yourself, IRL, and on the web. That means you can count on Vistaprint for beautifully designed business cards, marketing materials, and all sorts of signage for your company or event. Like us, Vistaprint is committed to helping you scale your side hustle or small business by providing you with the tools you need to better market yourself, IRL, and on the web. That means you can count on Vistaprint for beautifully designed business cards, marketing materials, and all sorts of signage for your company or event. On vistaprint.com, you can upload your own designs or even hire a professional graphic designer to create a custom logo for your business. And I have everybody know that when you're in the early stages of a business, it's super important for you to make the right impression to your customers or clients. And you can do that thanks to Vistaprint's printing capabilities. When you use Vistaprint for all your printing signage and marketing materials, you know you'll make the best first impression. So what are you waiting for? Head over to vistaprint.com and use promo code GIRLBOSS at checkout for free shipping on all business cards in any quantity. That's vistaprint.com, V-I-S-T-A-P-R-I-N-T.com and promo code GIRLBOSS. So we have our fears, and then there's fake it till you make it, and there's something equals something. So there's so all of there's these some math involved. All of these tropes out there, right? But at the end of the day, we just have to convince ourselves that we can do it and go out there in the world and start talking to people, right? Which another word for is networking. Uh, according to research from Vistaprint, almost 25% of women surveyed believe that one of the barriers to starting a business is networking with people who run a side business. So, and I, I agree. I mean, right. I, I, um, I worked in a, like a hovel. I paid $500 a month rent and had a hot plate and I was in my step aunt's backyard out near Concord. <laughs> it was like, not cool. <laughs> it was like me, Starbucks, Goodwill and Boston market. And there was network and networking. It seemed like the creepiest thing in the world. It's so important, right? That's why we make business cards. But if we don't walk into a room and actually hand them to anybody, we're not going to have the kind of opportunities that we dream of when we buy these business cards, right? I'll buy gym clothes and dream of going to the gym and I'll have the best gym clothes. I'll be like, oh, that's a promise to myself. I bought my gym clothes. I have to actually take them to the gym, right? And then I have to use them because I could go to the gym and not even use them, right? You can take your business cards to a networking event and they can sit in your handbag. Don't do that. <laughs> so when you started marketing yourself as a brand strategist, I want to know, how did you approach networking? You were you handing out your were you spraying business cards? What did you? How did you walk up to somebody and say hi? I know I was doing this, but I'm doing this other thing. I know that might be a little bit of cognitive load for you to understand. There's a change here. Let me make it easy for you. Well, it started with you know with business cards. Typically, you can get like 250 to 500 at a time. So maybe the first hundred or so, I was like, yes, everybody gets a business card. And then as a broke person, I'm like, I got to be more strategic with who I'm giving these cards to. And so I put myself in a position to be around people who could potentially hire me. It wasn't just throwing it out to everyone or having these random conversations with people who weren't going to be my clients. It was, um, again, staying in the loop with those folks that I used to work with um, and then informing them of my next step. And because my jobs weren't so different, you know, I didn't go from ice cream maker to televangelist. I was working in policy in a way that put me out there in the community. And now I was still working in the community, but just did not have a boss. I was the boss now. So essentially, my conversation was, I work for myself now. I'm a lot cheaper. 
uh, but you'll get a high quality of work. You know who I am, and here are the ways I, I can help your nonprofit. I could help your church, your organization in some way. Um, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't about getting out the most cards to the most people. It was focusing in on my audience who could hire me and making sure they were informed about what I was now doing. Business cards are literally currency, right? And that means that you probably shouldn't waste them. Yes. Right? They are your currency in the world, but at the same time, they cost a little bit of money. They do. So they're not pennies in a wishing well. We're not just dropping them in arbitrarily and crossing our fingers. We're putting them out there with intention. And you don't necessarily want randoms having your Mm -mm. contact information. I ride the bus in LA, which is surprising to a lot of LA people, but I don't get on there and start handing out my business card or telling them about my website, how to get in touch with me. They're likely not my target audience. It's making sure that you hold that information close, but that you don't hold it so close that you and your mom are the only people who know what kind of services you provide. Yeah, I mean, for those of us who don't find ourselves, right, if we're small business owners, entrepreneurs, even working at a at a company where we can't network with people who are doing what we want to do or doing what we're doing, having trouble meeting people organically, where can we go to find other people in our field? What would your advice be for those of us who are really isolated? Well, I think there are two things. Sometimes it's creating your own networking event and um, putting it out there on Eventbrite or using your social media to say, hey, let's all get a glass of wine at this particular restaurant. Let's talk about resources we have, potential ways that we can be each other's customers. So it's not always just waiting for other people to create opportunities for you to network. It's creating them yourself if you can. And that doesn't mean buying a bunch of stuff. So other people are, you know, you're investing money in your own charcuterie boards and just invite people to go to a location and they can buy their own wine or their own old fashioned, whatever you're into. Um, but also, if you are an entrepreneur and the and the point is to find people to purchase your item that you've created or your services, you have to make people aware of that being scared is OK. It might always be scary, but so is being poor and kind of failing at really pushing yourself to success. So weigh those two things. Is it scarier to talk to a stranger or scarier to not succeed or to not trust yourself and put your goods and services out there? So you're an expert in building brands. Am I? And telling our story. Yes, that's why (laughs) you're here today. I have so much to learn from you. I really. But what would you say the three main elements of a good brand story are? Well, first I'll say it's oliviachristian.co. CEO. Excuse me. That's all right. Um, see, a, a good person will step in there and correct. Otherwise, the world would think it's .com. We're not editing this out. <laughs> um, the three elements that I think are important in creating a personal brand story that is authentic, that is compelling, that is focused on your audience is to, one, include the head and two, the heart. And I mentioned this earlier. We all have data that we can list on something like LinkedIn where you've worked, your job history, your specialties, how to contact you. But the differentiator is the you involved. So yes, create um, a story that's got that information so we get that qualifying information from you. You're experienced in these ways. Here's where you've worked. Here's where you've studied. But the things that we really are connected to as humans is the emotional connection you may have to your work. When were you first inspired to do what you do? Who helped you in your journey? Who didn't help you in your journey? Has it been exciting? Has it been fulfilling? Has it been magical? Or has it been isolating? Has it been depressing? Uh, Has it been lonely? Uh, When you admit those things about your journey, you're putting your, your listeners, your audience, if it's an audience of one or an audience of one million, 
you're putting them in a position to think about themselves in relationship to you and how they would have felt, how they would have handled those challenges and choices. And when people think about themselves as they hear a story, that's the things they remember. They create those images in their mind and you find people going, yes, me too. That's exactly what happened to me. Or they'll say, that's amazing. I never experienced anything like that. Congratulations, you survived. So it's that authentic story, the um, the head and the heart. It's the information. It's the data, as well as, again, the emotional connection you have to what you're trying to produce in the world. Giving people a mirror to see themselves. The last, the third element that is very, very important is to think about your audience and focus in on what you want them to do and order what they need to know about you and what you want them to do. So I don't need to tell everyone that I make great guacamole. Probably just the people who are coming over on okay, Saturday. Uh, yeah, that's an uh, invitation to come have guacamole okay. at Olivia's house. OliviaChristian.co. <laughs> <laughs> but if I want people to hire me or come to a workshop, they need to know the story of how I developed this and what they will get at the end. So it's focusing in on this is what I want that person or these people to do. And I'll tell a story that makes sense for them to hear not the story of everything I've loved and done in my entire life. So focus your story and have that head and heart component. People ask me, what's Girl Boss? I'm like, oh, Girl Boss is so many things. Like even I, I think I probably need to take your workshop because it's hard to narrow down what exactly it is that we're doing in a period that would be a quote unquote elevator pitch, which is the amount of time you have in an elevator to explain to someone what it is that you do. And usually you have less time than that because elevators suck. So if you're at an event and someone's like, oh, hi, nice to meet you, Olivia. What is what is it that you do? I want you to answer that question for me. But then also, what makes a good elevator pitch? Well, to answer your first question, I create platforms for people to share their stories. And when I say that, that usually results in somebody going, and what does that mean? Uh-huh. Um, And I reply by saying I have a workshop called Own Your Story where I coach people in creating a personal brand story. And I have a website, or I should say, and I have a YouTube show called The Game Last Night. And I interview athletes and fans of different sports and major teams all over the country, and they tell their stories. So that is the common connection. It's both storytelling. Um, And in, in response to your other question, I go back to the tips, the elevator the elevator pitch. It's important to, because we don't always know what will get people to act. Um, some people are motivated more emotionally. Like this is an example I give a lot of times in my workshop. I don't know if this commercial still comes on television anymore, but back in the day at one or two o'clock in the morning, Sarah McLaughlin would get on and start singing in the of animals. And then you'd see the, the puppies and the kittens looking at you, just saying, take me home. And she's getting you with that emotional pull with the visuals of the puppies and the incredibly depressing song. But the commercial doesn't just end. She now says, and go to this website. And it costs 25 cents a day. And you'll get pictures of this puppy. So she's getting you with the emotional tug, but then she gives you the action, how to act. So if you're in an elevator and you've got 30 seconds or so to pitch someone, that's weird to be in an elevator, but whatever. Um, you know, I'm like, get me out of this elevator with this person. Stop pitching me. <laughs> I'm like, it's hot in here. <laughs> um, but it's creating a really short, succinct um, kind of emotional connection to what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve, and then give them that data. 
and that data could be, and this is how I want you to help me. Here's how your funding could support my next level. A, B, here's my website. This is how many clients I have. We're in beta. Sign up for my emails. Again, whatever those action items are, let them know what it is so they can decide for themselves, I'm the person that's going to do that for you. Um, but they also give them that head, I should say, also give them that heart stuff because they may be heart driven or they may be data driven. But when you have a story that's both, you're likely to connect with anyone. I think I need to read it, but I think Gary Vaynerchuk calls that something like jab, jab, right hook or something. It's like you give something away, people get attached to it, and then you're like, I want something. <laughs> I mean, if you don't, I mean, ever, I think a lot of our listeners probably know what a call to action is, but it it's literally what, a button on a website. It's like anything that says, like, go here, and you can do that in person. You can do it digitally. You can do it on a podcast. Go to oliviachristian.co. Come to the girlbossrally.com, right? That's a yes. call to action. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, nobody wants to visit your thing or click on your thing or listen to your thing if you don't initially disarm them with something that they can relate to. If you don't show people your humanity and and show that you understand their humanity before you ask for something or offer something even, they're not going to know why. They're going to, th- it's like it's like being spammed yeah. <laughs> like in person. Yes. <laughs> At the upcoming Girl Boss Rally, you're hosting a workshop. Yes. And it's in partnership with Vistaprint called Own Your Story, No Surprise. And it's about how to craft a personal brand story. Yes. And you've shared versions of this across the country for corporate audiences, at conferences and co-working spaces like Visa Women in Tech and Google's Female Founders Summit. So tell me about your workshop and what can we expect from it? So Own Your Story really came about because I took the advice of women. I had been sharing this workshop with nonprofit clients of mine for a couple of years. I was trained in this methodology, I think back in 2013, of how to incorporate the individual motivations for why we do what we do into our pitch. And um, back in, I think, 2017, a for-profit client of mine, because I was like, oh, I'm going to try to make money now, not just working nonprofits. They encouraged me to share this workshop at their first ever conference that they were hosting in San Francisco for professional women that were coming from all over the country. And I'd never done that before. I'd only done it with like interns or board members at a single organization. But I pushed myself to see if it would work. I'm like, I did this. I'm putting it out there. Um, and at the end of the session, a number of the women, probably about 25 to 30 women in that session, they lined up to talk to me afterwards, which is, I'm not Oprah, so I, I don't experience people lining up to talk to me. It was weird. But they were all very encouraging. It's They're weird. Like, it's it's weird. <laughs> They're like, you should do this more often. You're really good at this. And instead of talking myself out of a compliment, and as women, I think we do that a lot. It's like, oh, your hair looks great. I'm like, what? I haven't washed it in weeks. (laughs) Deflect, deflect. But for whatever reason that day, I was just like letting it hit me. And so I decided I'm going to figure out how to make this work. And I started by going to co-working spaces and eventually met individuals who were working in corporations who experienced a great workshop. And so they um, provided a testimonial for me to go into places like Visa and Google and Twitter. And then I harassed my way into my first um, girl boss rally in New York. Cool. <laughs> I didn't know how that came about. I can't believe you had to harass us. Well, I mean, I what wasn't fooled. <laughs> you, you guys had a lot on your plate. And yeah, it's, nuts. It was, it's about making yourself known. And um, I was published on your website out of nowhere. That's why I was like, how the heck did you even find me? I think I had four followers or something on Instagram. Um, But I built on that. Once you guys contacted me, I was like, you're not going to be able to let me go. And I 
hustled my way onto that stage and I told the women how I got there. This is what I did. I emailed Neha for like six weeks, once a week, and said I'd been visualizing myself on this stage. And at the end of the workshop, which, again, I coached them in this methodology of how to create an effective and compelling personal brand story, they were on my side. I'm like, they knew that I wasn't some giant celebrity. They could see themselves in me and the hustle that it took to get on that stage. And they were just like, yeah. Did you talk about how you got on the stage? Yeah, I told them the story. And I told them that after Neha emailed me and said, you're in, I emailed Alice and Olivia. I had been seeing this dress on Instagram, you know, like when you see a dress and it follows you on every website. So I kept seeing this dress and I was like, I just got the yes that I'm going to be at Girl Boss Rally. I've been seeing myself in this dress and I found somebody in marketing on LinkedIn and like within an hour they said, what's your size? I got the dress and I told that part of the story at Girl Boss Rally. And again, the women were like, yes, they were so on board. Because I was, I didn't present myself as this like fancy lady who's like, you're lucky to be sitting in front of me. I'm like, I'm lucky to be here. And you could be here, potentially, not all thousands of you, millions of you. Um, but you can create your own little stages, carve out your career. If you see your name in lights, if you see your name on a book, whatever that is, work like hell to get there. I'm no better than you. But it was about being persistent. So you have your own side hustle yes. as the executive producer and host of The Game Last Night, which is a sports cast where you chat with professional and collegiate athletes, coaches, commentators, and fans. Yes. And you work as a freelance sports reporter for National Public Radio's Only a Game. That's cool. How did you start doing this? I feel like it's pretty cool. And how do you balance it all? Uh, well, balance doesn't exist for me, um, <laughs> but I created the game last night um, because I'm a huge sports fan. I am, uh, despite the four-inch heels and the lipstick and all that, I consider myself a tomboy. I love watching football and baseball, all of them, and I had gained some skills in production, video production and podcasts, and I decided to turn the camera on myself and create my own show, put my own opinions out there, and it began with me um connecting with uh, retired athletes, because retired athletes have all the time in the world to talk to you. They're no longer on a (laughs) practice schedule. Unemployed. Unemployed. (laughs) They love to talk about their career. And I wanted to hear about their journeys. And so it was just me and I would uh, my work that I was doing professionally as a brand strategist financed this YouTube show. And I spent money on a great production team as opposed to like trying to shoot this on my phone. Now, phones now are a lot better. But, you know, I had mic guys and camera crew. And it was coming out of pocket. So I had to hustle to make money to afford this other stuff. And I also bartered with this production team. Um, And I found that these guys, I say these guys, but it was women and men, um, Olympic stars, silver medalists, gold medalists in swimming and soccer. I talked to three-time World Series champions, pro bowlers. Um, For sports fans, they know what all that means. Pro Bowl is football and World Series is baseball. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But putting myself out there in that way made me um, noticeable to NPR. I never even thought about working at NPR. so cool. And they were like, hey, do you want to be a guest on this segment? I'm like, yes. I was a guest on the segment. Apparently I was funny and Before I walked out of the studio, the show that I work on, Only a Game, is produced out of Boston. I was in San Francisco at KQED. Right after I finished my three-minute segment, I called my dad, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it was amazing. And then I saw that they were calling me saying, when do you want to come back? And I was like, 
I had won. I had done something. That's amazing. But it was about putting myself out there with the YouTube show. Had I not just invested in myself and my dream, NPR would never have known that this chick is out here who can talk sports for a living. No one can see your talent unless you put your talent out out in the world. And YouTube is a scary place. People can write anything about you. You're ugly. You're dumb. If they don't like the team that I like. But um, I had to prepare myself mentally for that kind of feedback. You can turn the comments off, but I wanted to to see the comments and I wanted to get better. So I put it out there and now I've been working for NPR for about two years as a freelancer and it's a dream come true. That's like as cool as it gets. It's like NPR, Apple, (laughs) just like what are the, in terms of brands, you know, it's like it doesn't get cooler or more credible than NPR. Yeah, and when you work at NPR and you approach like the Dodgers or something, a lot of those athletes don't get on NPR. They're yeah. on ESPN and Fox all the time, but NPR wants, okay. And oh, like, I know. How do we watch your show on YouTube? It's youtube.com slash the game last night. I really want to watch it. Everyone subscribe. If I had more subscribers, well, whatever. You're we'll like, if I had more, I could monetize it and then I'd do it more. Exactly. <laughs> it's expensive. You know, I got to work. The chicken and the egg. No, totally. So what do you want to do next? How do you see your story evolving? I'm actually working on a book. I have been lucky enough to travel this country and hear tons of stories of people, triumph and tragedy, and they have been inspiring to me. It's not just about me walking to a space, inspiring other women and being like, peace out. They have made um, my life so much fuller as a result of being vulnerable and sharing their stories with me and whoever else is in the room at the time. And there are I'd say 10 to 15 women that I've reached out to to say, I want to record a conversation with you and create audio so I can maybe turn it into a podcast, but definitely turn that transcript into a book. It's really important for me to, for people to understand that you don't have to just look for inspiration from the famous people. Nothing wrong with being famous. Um, for people who have 5 million followers or they're on TV every night, you can be inspired by the woman next to you. Oh, yeah. And so those stories are going to be women who I've met along the way. And um, they're not Instagram famous. They're not necessarily super wealthy women. um, But they have a story that I think other people can be inspired by. So I'm currently on the road doing things and collecting those stories. And um, I don't know if if I'll find a publisher. I might have to self-publish. But it's going to happen because that's who I am. Now that I've decided that I'm going to do it, it's going to happen. Couple more questions. There's sure. a couple questions I ask everybody who comes on Girl Boss Radio, and we, and what you do, I think a lot is also explore this concept of success, which is such a joke. And it's like, but you can say like, oh, I was. You can be successful in doing certain things, I guess, but ultimately, not everything works out. And even our failures can mean successes, and success can mean work. It can mean personal life. It can mean so many things, and it changes over the course of our lives and careers. What does success mean to you right now? To me and success to me now and 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I should say, when I started working for myself was being able to wake up in the morning and the way that I wanted to wake up in the morning, which means I didn't want to feel like, oh, God, I got to get through this day. I got to go to work or that like Sunday afternoon belly that people get and three or four o'clock and they think about the week coming ahead. It's just regret that is in their stomach. Um, so success for me is being able to, I'm an, I'm a morning person. I wake up around six, I meditate, I make coffee. I usually don't take calls before nine 30 or 10. I try to go to the gym, um, being able to enter every day. There's no difference between Tuesday and Sunday, Saturday and Wednesday, being able to do that every day is what success is for me. You know what a girl boss moment is? 
I do. Okay. What was your most recent girl boss moment? Um, I'm wearing today some neon yellow or neon green, depending on what people call. I call it neon green, really. Um, they're a pair of Christian Louboutin heels. And they're way too expensive. I mean, they're, they're priced the way they're priced. I'm not making enough money to be splurging on shoes like this. But it's my happy place. And I I don't wait for um, huge moments to celebrate. I try to celebrate everything. I'm celebrating the fact that I was invited to be on this podcast. I will celebrate the fact that I made it through when we're done. So I try to celebrate all these little accomplishments. And I don't remember what I was celebrating when I bought these shoes. But I know it was out of um, a, a moment of gratitude for something that I had achieved. And so when I have shoes or... I like dresses and that kind of thing, too. It's like I buy those things for myself and I wear them as soon as possible. And reminders of what you've achieved. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean. It's I think people can get, quote unquote, consumerism. And that's a whole nother conversation confused with once in a while. I buy things for myself to show myself that I can look down at my feet and say, oh, shit, like I work that hard. And these are comfortable. I think these shoes were when I was invited to come back to Girl Boss Rally again this year. And I was like, yes, I will buy some shoes. <laughs> There's nothing like being a human exclamation point. So. Yeah. And I don't know if they're green or yellow either. It's really in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> Olivia, thank you so much for joining me on Girl Boss Radio. Thanks for having me, Sophia. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. And a big thank you to Olivia for coming on the podcast and sharing her story with us. And thanks to our partners at Vistaprint for helping make this episode possible. We are so, so happy to be partnering with Vistaprint this year for the Girl Boss Rally. And thank you for downloading and streaming Girlboss Radio each week. I really love seeing all of your comments on social and on Instagram and reposts and restories. And if you tag me and if you tag Girlboss, we'll see them. We might just reshare them. And as always, be sure to leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people discover us. And that's what we want. Okay, that's it from me. I'll talk to you next week.